Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And in my time as a financial planner, I have seen a whole bunch of people's investments. I've heard a lot of people's backstories with investments, their history with investing. And there's a lot of common mistakes I'll see over and over again. And by the way, I myself has made some of these mistakes. So nobody is perfect. There's nobody that has never made any mistakes when it comes to investing. But it is important to know what common pitfalls exist. Because as much as investing is about doing the right thing, it is equally as much about not doing the wrong thing. So if we can identify the big mistakes that are common to all of us and why we make them and how to identify them ahead of time, I think it will go a long way into helping us have a better investment experience going forward. So there are four common mistakes that I see, and we're going to walk through each of these today so that you can identify them ahead of time to make sure that you don't make the same mistakes with your portfolio so that your portfolio can continue growing and doing what it needs to do to support you and your future goals. So number one, is trying to time the market. And I know we all know that we can't time the market. I know we all know that it's not possible to do, but we do so nonetheless. And it's so tempting to try to time the market in times of the market doing really well and in times of the market doing very poorly. Now, here's the challenge. There is an extreme cost to trying to time the market. And I'll use an example to illustrate this. Let's assume that you had a time machine and you could go back 50 years and you could go back to 1970. Now, let's assume in 1970, you invested $1,000 into the S&P 500. Why do you just invested that money and not touched it? Ups and downs and everything in between. Today, that money, or by the end of 2020, that money would have been worth $121,353. So $1,000 increases to $121,353. That's a pretty good experience. If you could know that you're going to invest your dollar and your $1,000 and it was going to turn into over $120,000, I think we would all take that. But now look at this. What if over that 50 years, you missed the S&P 500's best performing day? So one single day. You have 50 years of investing, but you missed the best single day. Well, instead of having $121,000, you would have just under $109,000. So that's over $12,000 of lost performance simply by missing one single day if that was the best performing day in that time period. So that's pretty dramatic. When you're when you're factoring that you're only starting with $1,000 and by missing the best day, you miss out on over $12,000, that's pretty dramatic. Now, if you missed the five best days, instead of having $121,000, you would only have $77,000. So 44,000 fewer dollars than had you simply remained fully invested and not missed the five best days. If you had missed the 15 best days, instead of having $121,000, you would only have about $43,000. So again, instead of $121,000, if you'd remained fully invested, if you missed the 15 best days out of 50 years of performance, you lost almost $78,000 of value. Your $1,000 has now only grown to $43,000. And if you are just the unluckiest investor and tried to time the market and had the worst luck, instead of investing $1,000 and it turning to $121,000, if you missed the 25 best days, you only had about $27,000 at the end of that 50-year time period, meaning almost $95,000 fewer dollars than you would have had had you simply remained fully invested. So you can see why this is such a big mistake. The cost of trying to time the market can cost you in a huge way. 
if you just miss the best day or a handful of the best days, a lot of the performance that you can expect over time is simply going to be lost. The reason this is so challenging too is, is the best days don't happen when we think they would. It's not like the best days happen when everything's great and the economy is doing great and you turn on the news and there's nothing to be worried about. The best days actually happen at the bottom. The best days happen, go back to coronavirus. The best days happen in the midst of incredible uncertainty. They happen when cases are increasing. They happen as unemployment is increasing. They happen as there seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel. That's when the best days happen. Same thing if you go back to 2008. It was in the darkest time periods when it seemed like there was nothing that could possibly go right. That's when the best days would happen. They'd often happen after some of the worst days. So trying to time the market, especially trying to time the market when things are not looking so great, that can be one of the riskiest things you can possibly do because if you miss that best day, if you miss out on the recovery when it happens, all it takes is missing a couple of days for you to sacrifice a tremendous amount of the long-term growth that you otherwise could have expected. So mistake number one that I see people make is trying to time the market. And I know that we all know in our heads and rationally that we can't do that, but sometimes seeing the numbers and seeing the cost of trying to time the market is really impactful. It shows us how much we might be leaving on the table if we try to time the market and get out at the wrong time especially when we know that so many of the best days in the market happen when we might least expect them to. So that is mistake number one that many people make is trying to time the market. The second mistake that I see people make, and this might seem simple, but it's, it's really profound when we look at it, is misunderstanding averages. So oftentimes we talk about investing and, and we ask, okay, well, what, what investment return can I expect? What can I expect my money to grow to over time? Well, we don't know, but what we start with is we start by looking at what this S&P 500 has done historically. So the S&P 500 measuring the performance of the 500 biggest U.S. companies over time. So going all the way back to 1926, it's averaged about 10% per year. But here's the thing. In any of those years, so of all those 95 years or so, the S&P 500 did not return 10%, exactly 10% in any of them. So yes, the average return is 10%, but it never once returned exactly 10%. In fact, on only six of those years, did it even come within two percentage points of 10%, meaning did it finish between eight to 12%? So six out of 95 years, did it come within that threshold, meaning most of the years it was up significantly higher or it was down significantly more. If you look at just the range, the range over these last 95 years, they've ranged as high as up 54%, which means if you were an investor, you could have enjoyed an experience of being up as much as 54%. But you also could have been down as much as 43%. So that's a pretty significant range. Over the past 95 years, the best return in one year has been up 54%. The worst return in one year has been down 43%. Or you could have been anywhere in between. You're oftentimes not going to get 10% or even close to 10%. So that as an investor is important to know. Because we invest because we expect to grow our money. And we expect to grow our money based upon what some index has done historically but then when we don't accomplish that the first year or the second year or the third year, we start to question that. We say, well, what, what on earth is happening? The average return of the market has been 10%, but I'm coming nowhere close to that. Well, yes. In fact, it'd be kind of weird if you got exactly the return of the market when you're as you first started investing. You're never going to get that. I shouldn't say never, but you never would have gotten that over the past 95 years. I'm sure at some point the market will return exactly 10%, but in the meantime, expect to get significantly higher or significantly lower or anywhere in between, which I know isn't very comforting when you're trying to predict what type of performance you're going to get. Now, the longer you remain invested, the closer and closer your average return will start to narrow in on that 10% per year. 
if the same thing happens going forward. But year by year, you cannot expect to get any consistent growth rate. Going all the way back to 1926, annual returns have been positive 70 times and they've been negative 25 times. So what you can see is you'll probably be up in value more times than not, but that up or that down that you're going to get, you just can't predict when that's going to be or what it's going to look like. And that's important to note going into investing, because if you go in with any specific expectations as to whether you'll be up in value or down in value or to what extent you'll be up in value, you're likely going to be disappointed. The third mistake that I see quite often is investors chasing the hot stock. And now oftentimes the hot stock is a big stock and it's a big stock because it's gone up in value a whole bunch. And I know that sounds like circular thinking, but here's what I mean by that. Let's take an example. Tesla. Tesla stock has been on fire the past year or so. And as of this recording, and, and by the time that you hear this, it'll likely be changed, but Tesla's market capitalization, so the size of the company as of this recording, is about $750 billion, making it one of the largest companies in the world. Now, had you gone back a couple years ago, Tesla's market cap might have been $30 billion, $40 billion. So still large, but significantly lower than what it is today. So it's gone on an incredible run. It's been a hot stock. And what happens is as that stock grows, it's now a very large company. It's one of the largest companies in the world. So what I see people doing is not just with this stock, but with any stock, is investors start to chase the biggest companies. Those biggest companies are big because they've been the best performers over the past, however often, past year, five years, 10 years, et cetera. Now, here's the thing. In order to become one of the 10 biggest companies in the world, a stock has to do really well. And so when you look at the data around this, before becoming one of the 10 biggest companies, stock will have a great return and it will outperform just the US total market index by anywhere between 10 to 20% on average when you're looking at the few years leading up to it becoming one of the biggest companies in the world. Now, after it becomes one of the 10 biggest companies in the world, the stock tends to underperform the market as a whole. If you look at the five years after a stock joins the 10 largest companies in the world, it tends to underperform the market as a whole by about 1% per year. If you look at its performance 10 years after becoming one of the top 10 biggest companies, it tends to underperform the market by about 1.5% per year. Let's take a look at an example for this too. So Intel is a great example. Intel, it's a technology giant, and it had an average annual return that exceeded the return of the total market by almost 30% per year for the 10 years before it became one of the top 10 stocks. So it significantly outperformed the rest of the market. But in the decade following, so once it became one of the 10 biggest stocks, the next decade, it underperformed the broad market or the whole market by almost 6% per year. So pretty significant underperformance. So it's impossible to predict what's going to happen with Tesla or Amazon or Apple or some of these big companies. But what we do know as a principle is that these companies that are big, they tended to get there by having great performance. And that as a whole, once they become one of the biggest companies, they don't tend to outperform the market anymore. We can't predict that with perfect certainty going forward. This is just looking backwards, but I think it's a good principle to keep in mind of once a company has done really, really well, its performance has driven it into the one of the top 10 largest companies. As investors, we see that and we want, we want them to be along for the ride. So we buy into it. But once we buy into it, a lot of times that performance or that outperformance does not continue going forward. So as investors, it's not bad to own these companies. And in fact, when they're the 10 biggest companies in the US or even in the world, you should own them. They should be part of your portfolio because they make up a big portion of the stock market as a whole. We shouldn't own too much of them. We shouldn't count on the outperformance continuing because once these companies are as large as they are, history shows us they tend to stop outperforming as much as they did 
on their way to the top. So that's mistake number three. Now mistake number four is this, and this is a big one, and this is one that we just came off of. As investors, we focus way too much on recent performance, specifically on recent bad performance. Meaning once the stock market's gone down as investors, we assume that it will continue going down. And so we tend to want to get out of our investments. We want to bail. We want to go to cash or get more conservative and wait for things to settle down. But that seems to make sense until we see how the market actually reacts. Let's take a look at an example. Let's look at over the past 95 years, how has the market performed after it's gone down in value? So let's look at every time the market's gone down in value after a 20% decline, which is which is what we would f- refer to as a bear market. So the markets that we all want to avoid. So if there's been a bear market, oftentimes that's when people least want to invest. But take a look at these numbers. The returns after the stock market has had a 20% decline. The average one-year return after that point. So meaning as soon as it hit a 20% decline, if you just look, if you fast forward one year, see where's the market at that time, on average, it's up 18.6% after that 20% decline when you fast forward one year from there. If you look at the three-year cumulative return after a 20% decline, the market's up 35.6%. And that's not an annual return each year, but it's a cumulative return over three years. And if you look at market returns over the next five years after the market goes down 20%, the cumulative return is almost 72%. That is important. That's crucial to know because oftentimes when the market's down 20%, that's when we least want to invest. That's when we want to pull out. That's when we want to stop our 401k contributions or or stop our investments. But what history shows us is that is the best possible time to invest. Now, intuitively, this makes sense. As the market goes down, the more and more attractive investment opportunities become. If the market just drops arbitrarily 50% in a day, what that technically means is you can buy investments for half the price that you could have the day before. Now, as investors, we unfortunately don't think that way. We see it drop and we think, okay, it's going to keep dropping. But what we tend to see is history shows us that time and time again, and we can't predict this with perfect certainty, nor can we ever, but on average, the returns of the market one year, three years, five years after the market drops are significantly higher than you'd expect them to be just in any average year. So the mistake we make as investors is we want to run away when prices are going down. What we should be doing as investors is that should be the best time to potentially buy. And again, I know it's easy to talk about this. Logically, we know that this makes sense, but in the moment, it's another story. In the moment, it seems like there's no end in sight. There's no hope. It's time to get out. But this is why it's so important to understand these mistakes ahead of time so that when this opportunity does present itself, we take advantage of it instead of running in the opposite direction. So just to summarize the four big investment mistakes I see people make and and the mistakes I don't want to see you make and what we want to identify ahead of time so that you can avoid these going forward. Number one, missing the best days. If you miss just the best day or best handful of days, it's going to wipe out a big portion of the return you can expect over time. Number two, not understanding averages is a big mistake. Yes, the market historically is averaged 10% per year. No, you cannot expect to get 10% per year each year going forward. It's going to be significantly higher or significantly lower. But the longer you remain fully invested, the closer and closer your long-term average is going to come close to that 10%. Assuming what happened historically happens the same way going forward. Number three, we chase big stocks. When people say, oh, this is a hot stock, really what they're meaning is it's a big expensive stock that's now really big. And what the growth that got it there is very rarely the growth that it continues to generate once that stock has become one of the 10 biggest stocks in the US. 
And then number four, we focus too much on recent performance, specifically recent downturns. If we can focus on that being a great opportunity, if we can focus on the downturn as being a great buying opportunity and not being a time that we should run away from our investments or change our investment strategy, the better off we're going to be over time. So again, the reason we go over this, the reason I want to cover this is because so much of successful investing has to do with not making these mistakes. If you can avoid these mistakes, if you can have a portfolio that makes sense and is suitable and works for your goals, you're going to have a great investment experience. But to do so, I want to make sure that we avoid some of the common pitfalls that can happen to any of us. So those are the four mistakes. That's it for today's episode. As always, thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you have not done so already. Please leave a review if you've not done so already. Tell your friends, tell your family. I want to make sure as many people can, can hear these episodes as possible. Thank you as always for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.